1: Hey folks and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we hope you've had a happy holidays heading into the new year here 2019. We hope you're having a good one. We have a great guest for you today, but before we get to that, I want to read the names of some of our Patreon supporters. But first, I'd like to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Patreon is a way for you to support content you believe in, like Typology, on a monthly basis. For as little as a dollar a month, you can partner with us to help us cover the cost for this show. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash typology. That's www.patreon.com forward slash T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y and select the level at which you want to support the show and when you sign up you get a bunch of bonus content as well so even a dollar a month folks it's a huge huge help alright I'd like to give a shout out to a few of you who have contributed to Patreon already Kenny Hood Kelly Messick Amber Greff Kyle Schrudelkamp Hannah Pritchard Roz Harris Jerry Feaster Edit M. Jonathan Becker, Jenny Gilbert, Sir Stephen Wilkinson, and Paul Middleton. Thanks to each of you for helping make this show possible. Hey, we have a fascinating guest today, Kirsten Powers, author, columnist, political analyst, USA Today, CNN, Fox News. I'll let Ian do the full intro, but needless to say, you are in for a treat. And now here's the host of our show, Ian Cron.
2: Kirsten, welcome to Typology.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: So we're new friends. Yes. Yeah, we spent an hour together. I don't know, three or four days ago, uh, uh-huh. FaceTiming, getting to know each other, and it was a delight and funny and uh, <laughs> yeah, illuminating and <gasps> all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, it's kind of rocked my world, actually. Great.
2: Well, before we j- yeah. before we jump in, let me just tell people a little uh, a little bit about you. Uh, you're an American author, a, a columnist, and political analyst. Um, you uh, currently write for USA Today, and you're an on-air political analyst at CNN. And I have watched mm-hmm. you in action there. And when I say force of nature, this is this is proof positive. Uh, she appears regularly on Anderson Cooper 360, CNN Tonight with Don Lemon, and the lead with Jake Tapper. Before she got to CNN, uh, Kirsten worked at Fox News as a political analyst and contributor, where she appeared... Uh, regularly uh, with Special Report with Brett Byer, Fox News Sunday, The Kelly File, The O'Reilly Factor. You were at the New York Post. You were at the Daily Beast. You know, mm-hmm. you were at the American Prospect. Um, yeah. Here's something interesting about you. You began your career as a staff assistant with the Clinton Gore presidential transition team. Right. Then mm-hmm. then you were Deputy, Deputy Assistant U.S. Trade Representative, you were uh, in the uh, administration, uh, you, were, you were actually a, you included Press Secretary. hmm Wow.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I was a Press Secretary on campaigns. I wasn't in wow. the Clinton administration. I worked in the Press Office at the U.S. Trade Representative's
2: Office. Right. Well, that's still pretty dang great.
0: Yeah, no, it was an amazing experience. Uh, we're, yeah. we're
2: probably going to talk about that. You have a book called The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech, which I definitely want to talk about. And let's get to it. You you are and from our conversation and uh, from, uh, you know, just speaking with you, a certain kind of ambivalence about whether or not you are a one the perfectionist or an eight the challenger let's talk a little bit about our our, our call the other day and it's mm-hmm. uh, what, what what have been the sort of the uh, what's been the ripple effect of that conversation
0: oh my gosh i mean really it's been pretty intense actually because really? i had thought so i discovered the enneagram i want to say maybe a year and a half ago and um really believed that I was a one, I actually didn't have any doubt about Mm. it. I was, you know, just positive. I'm very perfectionistic and I'm, I'm definitely a reformer type. I'm always trying to improve things. And, um, and so I really related to it and my friends related to it. But then I would hear people talking about it. Like Richard Rohr saying, you know, well, what were you like growing up? And he will talk about as a one. Well, I was such a good boy. You know, I just always wanted to make my my parents happy. And I thought that just was never me. Like I was not, I was rebellious, you know, and I, uh, I didn't really, I actually always was sort of puzzled by what my parents wanted. Right. I didn't, I think the example I used with you is I'd come home with a credit, uh, with a report card that had, you know, three A's, a B and a C. And my dad would say, what's up with the C? And I'd be like, well, what about the A's? (laughs) You know? And I just was like, what is your problem? I wasn't actually trying to get straight A's. I was trying to get my dad to see that his like value system was weird. And so that's not very one-ish, right? And so we went through like some other things that I did when I was younger. And you just kept saying like, no, ones don't do that. Ones don't do that. And so and I remember, I remember when we were talking and you started I could just see like the the word forming eight mm. and I just was like please god do not let me be an eight
2: interesting now
0: I just did not even want you to finish that sentence
2: oh mm. so so what's interesting about you uh, as I recall like both your parents were archaeologists is that right yeah. you grew up in Alaska mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you you obviously grew up in an intellectually uh, rich environment yes. and you grew up in a family where every night at the dinner table your dad made you can you tell folks?
0: defend my positions yes we talked about politics all the time or ideas or philosophy and those kinds of things but I was definitely put through the paces uh, it wasn't when I was at Fox I used to you know I did the O'Reilly factor uh, regularly and people would say to me how do you do it how do you keep your cool and I was like because it's just like being at dinner mm. you know I grew up in an Irish family this is what it was like it was you know and so I just um, am used to having to defend my positions under duress because my dad was a genius you know so um, and my mother also you know was quite brilliant and, um, and had lots of opinions as well so that was sort of the environment that I grew up in. Mm.
2: And how did that I mean how did that you know if we think about personality as uh, disposition, temperament, so things that you 're born with that really are not they 're immutable you 're not changing those babies right yeah, and then the influence of family, culture uh, school peers, you know all and other forces, like as you look at your life, what effect did growing up in a home where those kinds of intense uh, I mean, I guess confrontational. Like, like it sounds like you were probably interrogated at the, on the table. Yeah. Like, well, why do you believe that? And what are the reasons, oh, yeah. right? How, oh. how did that? How did that shape you as a person? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Like,
0: I think I did enjoy it. Actually, I don't. Um, I um, and it's hard to know what you know the chicken or the egg kind of thing because I had some trauma. My parents got divorced when I was five. And um, they and they also had a very difficult marriage you know they they yelled at each other a lot and it was um, it just was not a good marriage and so I grew up in a pretty tumultuous environment uh, up until the age of five and then they got divorced and when people got divorced when I was a child, well, first of all, nobody got divorced. Right. I, mean, I didn't have friends whose parents were divorced. And and, and so there wasn't this, it's not the, like today, you know, where people, the kids do therapy and everybody talks about it. It just was like, your dad's here one day and now he's living somewhere else. And that's just, that's the way it is. So it was extremely traumatic for me. And, you know, my brother's a teacher. And he was a psychology major, and he, had sa- he said to me, he noticed because he taught kindergarten for a while. He could always tell when the five-year- olds uh, when something was wrong at home because they would become obsessed with justice and fairness, and that's my obsession just right?
2: justice and fairness
0: Yeah, and so um, I like everything I do in my professional life is because I feel if I'm speaking up or I'm pushing back really hard against something. It's always because I think someone's being treated unfairly or unjustly. Uh, So I, I, you know, so I I wonder, was this how I came out? Was this the way, is this my software or is it the trauma or is it both? I I don't really know.
2: Yeah. And, and I think there will always be an element of mystery and Mm -hmm. um, in the mix, like, for example, well, um, disposition and temperament, does it, are the influence of those factors Uh, always the same like in other words is it always 30% is it always 50% Mm -hmm. is it you know how much is your uh, the nurture influences like so and and you know just the mystery of the human person like right like uh, if if you take a you know sort of a, a spiritual look at it then you know to what have you been called to birth into the world. You know, so, so that, that's another, another piece of it. Well, you've given me some things already to talk about that, that are pretty cool, but all right, but let's face it. When you look at your CV, this is the, this is what got me today was, okay, you're a little bit all over the map. At least I I don't know if you were, uh, the sort of the more liberal voice that was represented in these spheres consistently, or did, did you change somewhere? Um, but you've been at Fox You've been mm-hmm. at CNN. You, you, yeah. you were at the Post and you were at the yeah. Daily Beast. You were, right. I mean, you know, looking at it, it's like you're ponging all around. So can you yeah. give me some?
0: Well, so this is one of the things about the eight where I was thinking this and maybe this is why I could be the social eight, the subtype, and, and maybe it's different. But, you know, eights are very black and white. They, you know, you're either with them or you're against them. Um, And I think when I'm at my unhealthiest, I can be like that. But I think when I'm healthy, um, I really navigate well in different kinds of environments. And when people, what I hear the most often from people when I was at Fox and now at, at CNN, is you're the voice of reason. You're the sanity caucus. You're the, you know, I'm not the black and white person. I'm not the everybody, you know, you do something I don't like and you're completely bad or you are You do something right, you're completely good. I, I definitely can navigate in those kind of in-between spaces unless we're talking about systemic oppression. Now, if you're going to get, if we start talking about racism or misogyny or those kinds of things, then I will tend to move into closer to black and white but still you know I have to say I still will be you know not as harsh I think so it makes me think I probably have a nine wing right I think I can move into that peacemaker mode where I can be around a lot of different kinds of people that I disagree with Um, but I can when I'm unhealthy get into this really strident zealot kind of right and wrong so I, I can see both of them in me and I think and I and I think that that's where the Enneagram has probably affected me the most. Mm. I mean, just realizing how self-righteous I can be. I think that's been the most painful thing Mm. is kind of looking back and going, Oh my gosh. And part of column writing is you really do have to take a position. Um, And so I actually have stopped writing my column as much because I was like, I need a break because I'm, I'm like the finger-wagging, self-righteous, this-is-the-way-it-is person in my columns. Mm. To a certain extent, you kind of have to be, but I take to the next level. And I just was kind of like, can I just have a do-over? You know, can I just like, unfortunately, I can't, you know, because it's all like on the internet. Right. (laughs) So it's like, you know, and, uh, but it's just, you want to say like, can we just like take to this and like start over? Because this is not. Oh, I don't, this is not who I want to be. And I'm like a, embarrassed, you know, I'm at, and how I'm embarrassed that I couldn't see that I was doing it.
2: So one of the most enlightening and uh, really great experiences I ever had was when we started the typology podcast, I had never listened to myself speak for 30 minutes. Now who does, uh, right? You never, no one, right. no one ever tapes a conversation that you're in, right? <laughs> Un- unless you're doing this sort of thing. And I remember listening back to the first episode and going, oh my gosh I can be such a jerk like and, and it would go in and out of like being snarky kind of the New York kid that you know uh, yeah. the you know interrupting people and finishing sentences I mean it just went on and on and then there would be yeah. these sort of glimmering moments of a guy that I really liked and hmm. I remember thinking well who do you want to be, bro? It's like, you know, like I just, I I had no idea. That's how I came across. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: I know. And I think that I, with me, I also, and I think this might be an eight thing you'll have to tell me is that I'm always surprised at how upset people get, you know, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, yeah. Okay. So it was a little tough, but like, it's just a column, right? Like, so why are you putting so much into it? It's just a snapshot in time, you know, or I'll feel like, you know, you're caricaturing what I said. Like, I, you know, I think other things too, but like, I should be thinking about that when I'm writing the column, but I wasn't, mm. you know, I was just more like putting it out there. And if people didn't like it, it'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you? Cause that's just how I am. I don't really, that's another thing about eights that I don't relate to. I don't hold grudges. I don't, I just, I never have. It's not, uh, I can be friendly with people who've attacked me I'm just not so to me I don't I don't get attached to stuff like this that much and so I'll always be surprised you know when people will be like remember something I said six months ago on TV and I'll be like what I don't even remember that happening
2: yeah well let's just hit that for a second because actually it's ones who would be who would not forget and huh. who would be more have trouble forgiving like like Interesting. Yeah, what ones require when people piss them off or betray them or whatever, they need a heartfelt, honest apology and, yeah, and then I they can like let that. it go. But and and but if you if they don't get it, they really hold on to it. Now, for an eight, they're like they get into some heated argument or something or, you know, state of position that's pretty intense and they can walk away and just be like, OK, that's done. And then they walk yeah. away. Uh, ones don't do that. Uh, okay. uh, and for eights, I would say only when they get really unhealthy. And when they get really unhealthy, it gets vengeful. It's like, yeah, you know.
0: See, I don't relate. to. Yeah, I didn't relate to that. That kind of like if you wrong me, I'll get you. I don't. I don't and I've never seen it. I've seen it. people will be like oh that's so great because you're so forgiving it's like no I'm just too lazy yeah like I just don't like it's not a like I'm so evolved thing it's just like I don't yeah I'm not gonna it's just I don't have time yeah, so, you so know? like, right you don't
2: have time and and so yeah. you can shrug it off you can be yeah. like well I I don't know I do not remember that conversation right that was so in your eyes so damaging uh and that's more eight than a wolf, yeah. I mean, than I, a and I,
0: I can remember it. I mean, it happened like six months ago. I ran into somebody with a friend of mine and we were, I was talking and the friend wasn't, my friend wasn't saying much. And when the person walked away, he said, I don't understand why you're being so nice to him after he, what he, he did to you. I'm never going to forgive him. And I'm like, what did he do to me? I, don't, <laughs> I, I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then he told me and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I just.
2: <laughs> right. So yeah, the one would remember. And yeah. it would require the other to uh, really come out and ask their, their forgiveness. And they'd have to really own the whole thing, right? So, Kirsten, on all these shows, from The O'Reilly <laughs> Factor to Anderson Cooper, which if, did you ever do these on the same day?
0: No, because I was—you have to—I was working for Fox, so I was under contract with Fox, so I could only do Fox, and now I'm under contract with CNN, so I can only do CNN.
2: Okay. So, were you once a conservative and then became liberal, no. or were you? No,
0: I was the left of center voice at Fox. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, <clears throat> but I mean, I—I I was, you know, when I was growing up, I was always—I'm from a very democratic family. Um, I worked in the Clinton administration as a political appointee. Mm-hmm. I worked in Democratic politics, so that was sort of the first you know, part of my career, I was very in that tribe, uh, totally committed. Uh, Republicans were bad, Democrats were good. That was kind of my worldview. I had Republican friends, but, you know, in terms of ideas, I was like, I was a little black and white about it. Mm. Then I kind of burnt out and I um, ended up starting to really reconsider a lot of this. And I think I became a more like open minded you know, Democrat or left-of-center person. Um, I think people think that I got conservative because I wrote a book about, you know, liberals ruining free speech, but the whole book was based on a liberal perspective, you know, on the idea that free speech is a fundamentally liberal value. And, um, you know, and a lot of the people I talk about in the book are are liberals who are being silenced. So it wasn't actually just about defending um, conservatives. So, yeah, so no, I never became conservative. I I, um, I think I just became more... Fair-minded, maybe. Right. You know, like I just became more. Um, you know, these are good people who have different ideas, and it's not what I think, but it's fine. Boy, we could, you know? we could
2: use a little bit more of that these days, right? Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, and I want every typology listener—if you get a chance to see this—but Kirsten, I wonder if you saw it. The the monk debates M U N K, and the mm-hmm. the one between uh it was on political correctness and on one okay. s- on one side you had Jordan Peterson and Stephen Fry uh right. who were con toward uh you know political correctness and on the other side you have Michelle Goldberg and Eric Dyson uh yeah. and I'll tell you if you want to see a really brilliant but also getting personal kind of a debate
0: huh. that's Unbelievable. Yeah. No, I'll check it out. Yeah.
2: yeah. It'll also show you how divided we are at the at the present yeah. moment. So who boy. Um so <laughs> I want to know about you can help me solve a mystery. Um okay. so if you had to describe Bill Clinton's personality, how would you in a couple of sentences tell me what he was like?
0: Um well I didn't know him well. I mean I wasn't working in the West Wing. Right. Uh but ar- when I was around him, um He's you know extremely charismatic. Um, I found him to so it's interesting. I've heard you talk about him on other podcasts that you you don't think he's a three. Well, I'm
2: torn. You know what I mean? Because he
0: seems like a three to me. He okay. seems like somebody who you know. I mean, he's obviously very empathetic. Um, uh, I think he's probably much more emotional. You know, and you know, even uh, you know when he lost the governor's race, he was, you know, on the floor crying for days and Hillary had to kind of pick him up, kind of, you know what I mean? So there's that definite, like, intense emotional, I mean, he obviously has self-control issues and on all sorts of levels. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, he's, he's, he's very brilliant. But, I, you know, I, I think he's just complicated. You know, I didn't, again, I didn't know him well enough to... Right. To know, to give you any insight in his personality, I could just say he was somebody who always wanted attention. Mm. That's the thing that struck me, right. you know. Or if you're in a conversation with him at a cocktail party or something, you know, which I was one time after, right after he left office, it just was all about him. Right. Well, now I know people yeah. would say he makes you feel like you're the center of things, but you know, it was very much. I don't know. He just seemed like somebody who was always kind of trying to impress other people. Mm. That, that was my take on him.
2: All right. Well, uh, the the mystery remains, people. Uh, okay. I, I mean, and as you said, by the way, you know, people are complicated. And, yeah. you know, it goes to show, you know, people can exhibit behaviors that look like a type, but you can't determine the type on those behaviors. You really got to dig down into what's driving them. Why was he empathetic? You know, uh, right. uh, just because he was doesn't mean, you know, Fours are the most empathetic number on the Enneagram. doesn't make him a four. Right. It's why was right. he, right? In service, in service to what end? Okay, let's get to ones and yeah. eights because I want to help mm-hmm. you kind of really land on on something and maybe you can take an inventory as I sort of describe those differences. Yeah. I think a lot yeah. of our listeners uh, probably uh, are in the same boat as you or have been or know someone in that boat. So you're both in the instinctive or the gut triad. So that means you both are, are pretty strong-willed. You're action-oriented and... You really have ideas about what's the right thing to do, you know, or or how do things how are things supposed to get done? Um I would say that ones with anger, it, it it's really from the standpoint of like this moral principled ethical kind of thing. It's like this is wrong. This is like ethically, morally wrong. And they'll try to more uh, persuade people with a logical argument uh, about the soundness of, of their views. And then they'll get pissy and, and a little less uh, logical when people resist their line of thinking, because it's like, well, you know, uh, there's two, there's two right ways to do things, right? The wrong way and my way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they're mm-hmm. both of you guys, if you're ones and eights are black and white thinkers, you know? Right. Uh, and so eights, on the other hand, like, they tend to rely on self-confidence and gusto and energy like that to sway other people, uh sometimes force, a little bit more force. Um they w- where ones will try to convert, eights use power to get through to people, you know. Uh and I'd say the greatest misunderstanding between these two types is about justice. Uh that justice is an extremely important value to both. Um um, uh, but I'd say that, um, you know, for, for the two of them, like, well, for eight, I would say, uh, it's like, it's just a reaction. It's like, it's like from the hip, man. It's like a from the hip reaction. They, they just would, they see injustice or unfairness. They, they just go at it. There's not a lot of logical reasoning. You know, it's more like, yeah, this is wrong. I got to settle this. They don't like bullies. You know, they just don't like bullies and they're perfectly fine going up against power. They have no problem doing that, but they're going to go at it in a less measured way, less surgically than a one would. So which one of those two do you identify with more?
0: Much more of the one.
2: All right. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah. No, I'm very logical, very like and if you were to watch me, you know, even like Bill O'Reilly is like screaming at me. I'm just talking just like I'm talking right now. I'm just very like, no, that's not logical. That doesn't make sense. Like, da-da-da-da-da. And in fact, I mean, it's a compl- a complaint of my fiancé is when we argue that I'm cold, that I'm, you know, that I'm looking at him in a judgy way because he's lost his temper or he's, you know, being too emotional, that I'm, I- I'm actually not thinking that but that's my vibe um, I'm just trying to understand what's going on and I'm trying to like be logical you know mm-hmm. I'm trying to say well that doesn't make any sense right I'm frequently accused of being prosecutorial <clears throat> uh, you know when I we're, what I'm actually doing is just trying to understand I'm just trying to be like I something's not right I'm trying to get this like this isn't logical I'm very rational mm. right I just um, I'm o- probably overly rational so, um, yeah, so in that I definitely feel like, and I try. so one of the things we talked about was there's the me today and then there's the me, young me, and they're not the same.
2: Thank goodness, so, right? Thank goodness for all of us, if that's the yeah, case. Yeah,
0: but I think, you know, I think when I was younger, maybe I did more the eight thing. Mm-hmm. I think I was more dominating and then just trying to push through and get people to see what, but, but it was, I also think when I was younger and I think this is just a youth thing to a certain extent, kind of, I kind of did need them to agree with me. Uh, I don't now. Like I'm not really, most of my debating is to try to understand what they think and to try to tease out what I think. But in the end, if they don't agree with me, I don't really, I'm kind of over that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, people are just going to believe what they're going to believe and I can kind of do my best. but. Um, and then there's also the big difference between how I am relationally and how I am professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you were to say, you know, for me, kind of my motto is, you know, I'd rather be happy than right. When I was younger, I wouldn't even have understood the question because I would have been like, of course, I want to be right. Like, what are you talking about?
2: Right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Like, I mean, like, what a silly question. Um, but through life, I've kind of been like in my personal life, I want to be happy more than I want to be right. I think in my professional life, I want to be right more than I want to be happy, mm-hmm. uh, just because what I'm trying to be right about isn't about me, right. you know, it's, it's about systemic racism, it's about white privilege, it's about misogyny, it's about whatever, so it's like I feel like I am more likely in that scenario to to really try to convince people using logic, mm-hmm. um, But I also know I sometimes can say things that are shocking to people, and I'm always shocked that they're shocked.
1: Hey, we hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part series with Kirsten Powers. Be sure to tune in next week for part two. And until then, have a wonderful week.